0: I got a question for you. If God was going to choose a hero, would he choose you? If God was to choose a hero, would he choose you? Before um, school started thinking about kids' feelings and self-esteems, every pretty much gym practice started with the schoolyard pick. You guys remember that? You know, if you're playing dodgeball or tug of war or football or whatever group activity you would play, I don't know if they do that anymore, but they throw all the kids against the wall. Not really throw them, but they would tell the kids to line up against the wall. And then the coach would pick out two of the best athletes and he would say, okay, you, um, you gotta choose. You choose first and then you choose and, and then you would, you would just do a schoolyard pick. And that's how you would separate teams. I hated the schoolyard pick when I was in high school, in junior high. And the reason I hated it is because nine times out of ten, for some reason, we were always playing dodgeball. And um, like if we were playing tug-of-war, I was always one of the first kids' picked because I was really strong, I, I, was, I was hefty, and my team never lost at tug-of-war. If we were playing football, I was a top ten pick. I mean, I was in there, you know, I was mixing it up. But if we were playing dodgeball, Timmy with one eye was picked before me. I mean, it is not good and the reason why is because my head says dodge and then like five minutes later my butt reacts i mean it's like i just i I got moves they're just not that quick and and so i was always chosen last that's how the world chooses right we look at our stats we look at their statistics we we see what they got and what they don't have but god chooses differently there's a big difference between how we choose people and how God chooses people. And that's what we're going to learn from the beginning of David's story. Now, before we read the passage, if you pull out your notes, I got to give you a little background. Um, before, before David was chosen as king, there was another man who was chosen as king, and his name was Saul. Now, God's people, Israel, hadn't had a king before Saul. God said, Hey, I am your king, um, and so I provide prophets and I provide judges, and if you'll just follow me, everything will be okay. But the people of God started, you know, arguing, and they had a tendency to do that with God quite a bit. How many of you sometimes have a tendency to argue with God? And so they're arguing with God and they're saying, Hey, God, we, we want a king. We want somebody who will rule us here on earth. And uh and so they so God finally conceded and said, Okay, you can you can choose a king. And they chose Saul. And the reason they chose Saul is the Bible's really clear. They chose Saul because he was head and, t- head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And he was their best warrior. And so so he was a big, intimidating, strong man. And he had the charisma. and He had the ability. And, and so, so God's people said, this is the guy that we want to be our king based on all of those things. And it didn't work out so well. If you know the story of Saul being king, Saul made some pretty bad choices over time. And it led to God pulling back his anointing on Saul and saying, okay, I got to go in a different direction. And so he sent his prophet Samuel to a family by the name, the, the dad of, or his name is Jesse. And he said, I want, I, I've anointed, I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king. And so here we find Samuel telling Jesse, to gather all your sons, and this is where the scripture picks up. If you have your notes, you can follow along with me. This is 1 Samuel chapter 16, and this is what it says. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. You might want to underline that sentence because we're going to keep coming back to that. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. So so Samuel, Jesse brings his son, and he sees this Eliab, his oldest, and he says, this has got to be the guy. I mean, he looks kind of like Saul. He's the tallest. He's the strongest. This has to be the one that God has chosen. God says, no, I haven't chosen him. So Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? He says, Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, "Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So you've got you to gotta pick up on what's going on here. I mean... Samuel says, bring all your sons. And Jesse says, okay, I'll bring all my sons. But he doesn't bring all his sons. He leaves David out tending the sheep. So what do you think, what kind of thoughts did Jesse have about his own son, David? I mean, he knew that Samuel was looking for the next king, and he was hoping it would be one of his boys, but Jesse said it can't be David. I mean, David's just the youngest. David's the troublemaker. David. We'll just leave David out there because he's not going to be who Samuel or who God picks. Well, we know what happens. So he sent for him and brought him in. Since says he was glowing with health and a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise up and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The question I have for you this morning is, what God have chosen you? You see, God sees different things. How God sees you, that's what we're talking about today. You see, people people look for strength and abilities, but God looks for courage and faith. If you go back to the text, what did Samuel have? I mean, what did Saul have? Samuel was the strongest. Samuel, Samuel Saul was the biggest. Saul was the best fighter and he was chosen as king. When, when Jesse pulled his kids out, he put his oldest son first. Why? Because he was the biggest. He was the strongest. And, and God says, no, 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 I'm not looking for strength and ability. I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for courage and faith. How many of you have seen the first Captain America movie? Um, the first Captain America movie—it's—it's it's where you know he's chosen. It's—I have a short little video clip. I want to set it up for you. You know, Captain America—it's—you know, of course, it's our superhero movie. He's—he's—he's he's, uh, he's Steve Rogers is the skinny, scrawny, you know, hundred-pound kid, you know, with asthma and bad heart and bad feet and bad everything, and he desperately wants to serve in World War II. Over and over again, he gets rejected. He gets stamped. He gets a no. And this one last time, he finally goes in. He says, I want to serve my country. I'm willing to die for my country. And the scientist overhears him. He says, there's something different about this guy. And so he says, yes, I'm going to admit you into training. And, and we're going to put you through the rigors. And the general, the colonel, is just like punishing, or the sergeant, whatever he is, is punishing him over and over and over again. And they're getting down to the last choice on who's going to be this super soldier. Who's going to be this guy that represents America? And that's where we find this this scene. So click the button. And and he brought a ninety pound asthmatic it. onto my army base. I let it slide. I thought, what the hell? Maybe it'd be useful to you, like a gerbil. <laughs> Look at that. He's making me cry. Hodge passed every test we gave him. He's big. He's fast. He obeys orders. He's a soldier. He's a bully. You don't know, win wars with niceness, doctor. Win wars with guts. Grenade! Get away! Get back! Dummy grenade. Is this a test? He's still skinny. It was a test. It was the last test. It was the last one to see who had the courage and who had the faith, who was willing to give their life for their peers and for their country. You see, this world looks for strength. It looks for ability. It looks for, you know, the the big man or the big woman or the strong person, but, but God looks for something completely different. There's this funny story about a mom and dad in San Antonio. It was on Sunday morning, and they were getting ready to go to church, and They put their two twin seven-year-old boys and their infant in in the car seat in the back of the car, and uh, they were getting ready to drive off, and they remembered, hey, we forgot some stuff in the house. They forgot their diaper bag and their bottle, and so the mom and dad left the kids in the car and actually left the car running and went inside. And as they were coming out, they saw a man jump in the car and take off, and he was going to steal it or kidnap the kids. Here's the thing. The guy that was stealing the car underestimated the kids in the back seat. And the story, the news article, the, the 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 television article, talks about how the two twin seven-year-old boys started screaming like crazy. And they jumped up and they started hitting the guy that was driving the car. And the day before, their mom had bought him a rubber snake. And so the seven-year-old boy has this rubber snake and he's whipping it around the front of the car seat, hitting this carjacker in the face with this rubber snake. And the story says that the car the thief got so frustrated and so overwhelmed by the twin 7-year-old boys that he pulled the car over, got the two boys out, took the car seat and set it on the front porch of a person's house and said, "Hey, I don't want any more of you." And then got back in the car and drove off leaving the boys there, which in which caused it to him be stalled and eventually caught by the police just a few miles down the road. You see, he under, he overestimated himself, and he underestimated those boys. And don't we do the same? Don't we have a tendency to overestimate ourselves or underestimate ourselves? And I just want to say God sees something different. If you look at the story of David, I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of when he went to battle Goliath. You can find it in 1 Samuel. Jesse sends him you know, to the front lines where his brothers are fighting in the war with some food, you know, to provide for his brothers. And while he's there, he sees Goliath, the Philistine, taunting the people of Israel out in the middle of the field. And basically he's saying, hey, you you, you, Israelites, If all you cowards, send one man to come fight me and we'll end this war this way. And David, you know, is a little bit curious. And he says, well, what happens to the guy who goes up and fights this man and wins? And a bystander looks at David, and this is a Jared phrase, paraphrase of God's scripture. And he says, well, the king has promised reward, a great reward, his daughter's hand in marriage, and and his family never has to pay taxes again. And so David's like, don't have to pay taxes again. Hey, I'm all in, right? And so he says, I'll battle this guy. I'll go after him. And so he goes before Saul and he says, hey, Saul, you know, I'm king. I'll go fight this guy. I'll fight this guy, and Saul says, "Whoa, whoa, 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 you're just a boy." I mean, I'll put my armor on you, and so Saul put his armor on and swallowed him up. And he's like, "You can't." The Goliath would stomp on you like a bug. David says, "Wait a second. See, when I was tending my dad's sheep, a bear came against me, and I killed that bear. When I was taking care of my family's flock, a lion." came against me and I and I destroyed that line. Here's what I know is that the battle is not mine. The battle belongs to the Lord. See Saul was looking at strength. Saul was looking at ability. But David had something different. He had courage and he had faith. When the people of God were going into the promised land, God looked at Joshua and he said, "Hey, I want you to be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now there are mornings that I stand and look in the mirror. I'm like, Woof. This is all I got for today. We're in some serious trouble. Well this morning I was like, yeah, I'm looking pretty good, but it's Father's Day. I was feeling proud of myself, but but most days it's not like that. And that's when the Holy Spirit reminds me. It's not strength, it's not inabilities but it's in your courage and your faith in God that makes all the difference. Here's a second thought, how God sees you. People look for charisma, and God looks for character. You see, charisma, it, people with charisma are the most dangerous people in the world. Because charisma, charisma in itself isn't bad, but without character, it's destructive. Charisma without character is is destructive. I mean, we've all heard of ponzi schemes, right? Where where men or people, you know, set up these things and they use their charisma to get people to to invest in in whatever scheme that they're selling and then they take their person's money in their retirement and they run away from it. There's a crazy story about a guy by the name of Peter Berry. Actually, Peter Berry isn't his name. His real name is actual John Keaty. But hundreds of women in London and throughout the surrounding area know him as Peter Berry. Peter Berry is a scam artist. He, he, uh, he, he goes on these dating websites and he convinces women, you know, that, that he's you know a a, a, chi, a professional kayaker or, or that he races um uh what is it called the, the the sailboats and and he does all this stuff and he and he takes women on these house hunts where he'll tow, and he'll show them these these houses for sale and about how he's thinking about buying this house for 2 or 3 million pounds and and he he just has this charming personality and over the years he's he's stolen from these women over 2.1 million pounds of money I don't I don't know what that is in in our you know in our economy in our currency but it's a lot here's the thing about about Peter Barry I'm going to show you a picture of him the women that he he scams says he looks like Shrek it's not his it's not his face but it's his charisma that won them over This guy is so scummy that not only did he rob hundreds of women, but he actually stole from his own mother and his own grandmother, taking their identity and robbing them and emptying their retirement accounts. And he spent five years in prison, got out, did the exact same thing, and now he's back in prison once again. It's it's charisma, but no character. Just think what a man like this, with the right heart can do good in this world if he had a little bit of character. I read a story this week about a, Michi- a judge in Michigan. His name is Raymond Vogt. Raymond is, um, is a judge that is known for having a no-nonsense style. And, uh, and and he started getting really frustrated with cell phones going off in his courtroom. And so every day before every trial, he starts with the same thing, that if your phone goes off in the middle of our court proceeding, I'm going to send my bailiff to take it away from you, and then I'm going to fine you $25. And at the end of the day, at the end of court, you can meet you know, the bailiff at this place, pay the fine, and you can get it back. And, and this was like a no-nonsense rule, and he's taken phones from defense attorneys. He's taken phones from the prosecutor. He's taken phones from his own bailiff. He's taken phones from people, you know, in the audience. This guy said, this is the rule, and if you don't follow it, the phone's gone, and you can buy it back for 25 bucks. Pay your fine. Well, one day in court, it's a great story you can find online, he's sitting there, The defensive turn, actually, the prosecutor is giving his closing remarks, and he hears a voice really loud say, Say a command. He starts listening, and it does it again Say a command. And he starts, and he kind of figures out that it's coming from his own pocket. You see, earlier that day, he got his first smartphone with a touch screen, and he turned his ringer off, but he forgot to turn off the touch screen, and so when he put his hand in his lap, it punched the screen, and now his phone wants him to say a command, and it said it over and over and over again. And as it's saying over and over and over again, the defense or the prosecutor is getting really flustered because he's trying to do his closing remarks. And the judge says, my face turned red because I knew that I was breaking my own rule. So he pulled out his phone, bowed his head, handed it to his bailiff and gave it to him. And then later that day, he paid his own $25 fine and got his phone back. That's character. You see, he was the judge. He made the rules. He could have said, Hey guys, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. but it's not that big a deal. Everything will be fine. Put his phone away. But he realized that if he wanted to be a man of character, and if he set a rule, then he had to follow that same rule. So he fined himself and paid the fine after court. He had the ability and the power to ignore it, but he didn't. He showed character. And that's what God's looking for. And that's what God sees. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, the greatest among you, The greatest among you will be your servant. You see, we as followers of Jesus, we exist to serve the world. We exist to make God's name great in this world and make other people's lives better. That's character. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3 and 7, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that's charisma right selfish ambition vain conceit big personality rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interests of others in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as who christ jesus he says don't don't do things for your own glory don't do things for your own power don't do things out of your own charisma don't but do things out of your your character the character of jesus put other people first you see people they want to follow charisma but god says you know let me tell you what's really important what god wants to see is he wants to see character he wants to look at your heart here's a third thought is that people look for intelligence but god looks for wisdom smart people do really dumb things from time to time don't they you ever had one of those moments where you're watching somebody or it's even yourself and you're like, I can't believe I did that. I'm, I'm, I'm smarter than that. I'm, I'm not that big of a dummy, but, but some of us are. We have a tendency to screw things, screw things up. I saw an article this week on NBC. I mean, listen to this. 16.4 million Americans think that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. <laughs> Let that sink in. million Americans think that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. That's what NBC reported this week. That's crazy. I had a girl in my youth group when I was in high school who was going to be salutatorian of her class that literally believed that dark meat chicken comes from brown chickens and that white chicken, white meat comes from white chickens. I said, are you kidding me? I said, Betsy, have you ever noticed that dark meat is the same pieces of meat? It's the thigh. It's the leg. It's not the wing. It's not the breast. Those are always white. The other ones are always dark. She's like, ah. It's crazy how silly, how dumb smart people can be. Here's the thing. Intelligence, it's the measurement of how much you know. But wisdom is the measurement of the awareness of how much you don't know. Wisdom is knowing how much you don't know. Intelligence is measuring how much you do. I saw an article um, this week about a kid in Canada. He was an 18-year-old college student who was being pulled over for a suspected DUI, and he he's pulled his car over and he bailed out of his car and he took off running. And the police, you know, the you know chased after him and caught him put him in the back seat of the car and said, hey, we want you to take a breathalyzer. And he refused. said, I'm not going to take a breathalyzer. And so they were taking him in to do his blood alcohol levels. And on the way into, this is now this is an 18-year-old college kid. He's in college. He's been accepted by a university to go to school because he has some sort of level of smarts. He got the idea why he was going to take off his underwear and eat it. Because he thought the cotton in his underwear would soak up the alcohol in his stomach and he could pass the DUI test when he got to the hospital. If I'm lying, if I'm lying down, you can Google the story. It's crazy, it's crazy. A college student. How unintelligent can now here's the funny thing about it is he actually did pass the test and he didn't he wasn't driving under the influence, but it had nothing to do with the underwear that he ate on the way to the hospital. Crazy. People look for intelligence. But intelligent people do silly things all the time. God looks for wisdom. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise merely by being up to date with the times. I love this. You might want to circle it. He says, be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. Be God's fool. What does that mean? I just have a few questions for you this morning. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Do you have a spirit that says, "God, I'm, I want to learn from you. I want to be teachable. I, I I'm humble. I, I don't know everything. I don't have to have all the knowledge. God, I don't have to have all the answers. What I'm concerned about is what you're doing and what you're showing me, and that I will follow anywhere, no matter how crazy it sounds. God, I'm willing to do what you place on my heart in the direction that you're leading me. That's wisdom." You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have a spirit of obedience and say, God, I'll do whatever you lead me towards wherever you direct me. Here's one last thought. What God sees, people see you as you are, but God sees you as you can be. I like this. Paul writes in Romans, he says, we call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because because God made something out of Abraham When he was a nobody. I mean, if you look at the life of Abraham, Abraham was a screw up. I mean, Abraham made poor choice after poor choice after poor choice as he was following God's plan. He did not get everything perfect. But God saw something in Abraham. He said, You're going to be the father of many nations. And I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing into this world. You don't have it all together. You look at the story, the scriptures of who God chose to do great things in this world. I mean, he chose some of the most ridiculous people, but he saw something in them. He redeemed them. He made them something new and he saw who they could become and he used them to do great things. He was a nobody. Take a moment sometime this week and look at who Jesus decided to call as his disciples. Jesus didn't walk up to the local synagogue or to the local place of learning and say, hey, give me your best students. I, I, I'm, I'm a rabbi, I'm a teacher, and I need the best of the best to come and follow me because I'm the best of the best, and I'm going to teach the best of the best, and we're going to change this world. Is that what Jesus did? No. Jesus went to a lake and saw a couple guys fishing. and he said, hey, you guys, drop your nets, come follow me. I see something special in you. You, did, I know you didn't make the cut in school. I know you, you're doing the family trade. I, you, you, other people, you know, there there are other followers of rabbis that that got a little bit further, you know, in their studies, and and people saw a little bit more in you. But you guys, man, I see what you're going to be for the kingdom. I see what you're going to do for God's glory. You come and follow me. Hey, you, you're a tax collector. How about you? How about you put all that money aside and? Come follow me. I know people don't like you. I know people think that you're a cheat and you're a crook and you know what, you have cheated and you, and you have been a crook, but, but we're going to get past that and I'm going to use you for my glory. See, Jesus, He didn't choose the best of the best. He chose the rest. He says, I have something great for you. There's a great story in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have just healed a man. And uh, after they healed and this guy started dancing around. And, and this, this group of people gathered and they began to preach about Jesus and the Pharisees and religious rulers, you know, grabbed them and throw them in prison. And the scripture says in John chapter 4 that they beat him. And they roughed him up and they said, hey, no, 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 no. When you leave this place, you're not going to go back. You're not going to keep teaching about Jesus. That guy, he's dead. He's been buried. He's gone. Um, and uh, you're not going to keep teaching about him. And Peter and John said, hey, you guys can kill us. This is a Jared paraphrase, okay? He says, you guys can kill us, but there's nothing that's going to keep us from talking about Jesus. You might as well kill us now. The scripture says that the religious, leaders, re- religious rulers set them free. And they said this. They said that they realized that these were ordinary, uneducated men who had been with Jesus. Peter and John. Ordinary, uneducated who had been with Jesus, they saw their courage and faith and realized that there was something great about them. You see, this world, it sees people as they are, but God sees as you can be. You know, so some of you throughout your life have felt this nudge of God to do something for His greatness and for His glory. And there have been times in your life when you felt that nudge and you've had this argument with yourself and you've said things like, how can God use me? I mean, think about my past. Think about the things that I've done. Think about how I've treated my family. Think about the choices that I've made. And I just want to say that God doesn't see your past. He sees his forgiveness. The scripture's really clear that, that when we receive God's forgiveness, he takes our sin and he casts it to the sea of forgetfulness. Or he says that it's been cast, it's as far as from the east, as from the west. So he doesn't see us for our failures and for our sin. He sees us for his grace some of us say you know we feel that nudge and and then all we can see is our fear you know god i can't do this i'm too afraid i can't make this move i can't make this decision i can't i can't follow you to this place i'm afraid and god says i don't it's not about your fear it's about my power inside of you some of us see our brokenness and our woundedness we say god can't use me i'm just a broken vessel And God says, I'm going to use you because of your brokenness. I'm going to bring healing. And we're going to use that brokenness for my glory. And you're going to bring healing to other people because of the wounds that you've faced in the past. See, sometimes our wounds become God's greatest source of healing in other people's lives. Our experiences and our hurt, God says, I'm going to use for my glory, for my kingdom. See, people see us as we are. and God says, I see who you're going to be and who I am in you.